Good morning. Not bad, not bad. Happy New Year. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I just want to reference Derek's prayer this morning when he said, Dear Lord, be with the people that go to work tomorrow and have a really difficult boss to work with. I didn't know if that was a personal testimony or <laughs> I've been really nice lately and I just didn't know like how some of those things transpired. So, um, hey, let's be honest. Um, I'm a, I am a very type A person. I, I set goals every year. I, I, I list out academically, intellectually, physically, spiritually, my family, different things that, that I'd like to just see accomplished in a given year. What's funny is, is that oftentimes when we set different goals or make resolutions or we try to develop, you know, different things in our life, we try to, to have areas of growth, the, the reality is, is just because of the human element, because of human nature, there's this tendency to drift. And drifting often happens in many ways without us even knowing it. And I remember back uh, 2000, uh, April 1, 2007, God gave my wife and I the opportunity to plant a church in the Chicagoland area. And I remember thinking leading up to that, that first Sunday, that Sunday that I was going to begin a new church and I was going to be a part of something uh, that, was, that, that God was building. And I thought to myself, man, what is, what is something that I could preach on that I would say, this is what I want the ministry to be about. This is what I want church to be about. This is what God is putting on my heart. This is where God is leading us. This is what God wants us to focus on. And God led my heart to Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15 through 19. And we're going to read that here in a moment. And as I began to think about Southgate, and I began to think about where we're at in our history as a church and, and what that means for us, I want us to take the next several weeks. It's about a six-week series entitled Our House. And what we want to do during the next six weeks is really discover what it means to be a church and what it means to be a church for Southgate. Because there's hundreds of churches. I mean, we're, we're a Southern Baptist church, a part of the uh, Green County Baptist Association. Uh, and Chuck can correct me if I'm wrong. There's approximately, approximately close to 100 churches. Excuse me. There's approximately close to 100 Southern Baptist churches. That doesn't include the independent fundamental Baptist churches. That doesn't include our charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ, the Pennies, uh, the Nazarenes, the Catholics, all the different churches. So here's my point is this. Who are we going to be? What is God uniquely, definitively calling Southgate to be as a church? And listen to this word, as a church family. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And listen to this. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or that he might have the first place. For in him all the fullness of God pleased to dwell. Now I just, from the, from the outset, I want to say this. And I want to put my cards on the table. I love, I mean, I just love the local church. I've dedicated my entire life to being a part of serving its mission. Yet, even though I love the church, there are times where it's a struggle. And it's a struggle because the church is filled with broken people. And our experience in the family of God, in the church, is often a mixed bag. And I imagine, no, I'm, 
I'm pretty certain there are many who have given up on the church, and, and there are those who likely have said, you know what, I'm giving up on organized religion, in large part because in so many ways we have departed from a true biblical framework for how we view and how we do church. What does it look like? Which is why over the next six weeks we want to talk about our house. What is our family supposed to look like? And every family is different. If I go to your house, uh, you might not like it if I wear my shoes in the house, right? Some of you are like that, and I'm going to pray for you, okay? You're like Ray, Ray Ramon's uh, mother-in-law that keeps the plastic over the furniture. My mom had a room, like she's not here, so I can say this today. Literally, we had a room in our house where I was allowed, not allowed as a child to sit on any of the furniture in that room because that was for guests. And I just thought, that's just horrible. That's probably why I'm in counseling today. She wouldn't let me sit on the furniture, you know? And so every house has different rules. Now, this morning, we're looking at Colossians 1. This is a very pivotal position, a portion of Scripture. This passage speaks to the most important personality in the universe. That's the God of heaven, as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know last night was New Year's, and some of you were up late playing bingo and, and dominoes and whatever it is Baptists do on New Year's. I know you're up late, but I need you to say amen this morning, all right? Can you help me out today? Say amen. amen. If you say amen, we'll get out early. I know the chiefs are on at noon, so we're watching the clock. Now, we're looking at the most important personality in the universe. Now, this is the very heartbeat of Christianity. It's, the, it's at the very heart of what we believe, the very foundation of our faith. It, Jesus, listen, Jesus is the motivation for the journey. Now, here's the big idea and a quote that I want you to just let our hearts sit in this for a moment. We will never experience the fullness of joy that we've been created to enjoy until we give Jesus first place in all things. As a church, as a family, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, no matter what you're calling, no matter what your role, no matter what moment that you find yourself in, you will not experience the fullness of joy that you were designed, to cre- that you were designed and created to enjoy until Jesus is preeminent, until Jesus has first place in every area of your life. And I'm talking this morning, first place in your home, first place in your marriage, First place in your conversations, first place in your finances, first place in your dreams, first place in your career, first place, and this is a good place for an amen, first place in the church, amen? Jesus must be preeminent. Jesus must be lifted up. Our life, our marriage, our dream, our work, our kids, it's about Jesus. Not where does Jesus fit in, but how is Jesus preeminent? How is Jesus getting the first place? How is Jesus getting the attention? How are we lifting him up and giving him the honor and the glory and the praise that is due unto his name? I'm not talking about Jesus being important. I'm not talking about uh, Jesus uh, being an add-on to your life. What I'm talking about this morning is Jesus Christ being the preeminent figure and the personality in your own life. The follower of Christ who is seeking to authentically follow Christ will endeavor to place Jesus in his rightful place. Now, most of us would subscribe to this in theory. Like, yeah, I want Jesus to be first in my marriage. I want Jesus to be first in my life. I want Jesus to be first in my kid's life. I want, I want Christ to have preeminence. But to flesh it out, to do so in everyday life is a challenge. And I mention this, like, because I planted a church back in 2000 and, uh, 2007, and, 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 and the drift is easy, and the drift is natural, and often the drift is even unbeknownst to us. And so today, as I walk through this text with you, and as we 
journey through this passage of Scripture together, I want you to understand something, is that I'm preaching this text and this message to myself as much as I'm preaching it to anyone else sitting in this room today. Because it's a challenge. It's a challenge to allow Christ to be preeminent. It's a challenge to give Him the first place. Jesus isn't some afterthought. He's the first thought. And the first thought should be what is pleasing to Him in our life, in our family, in our church. So as you step into a new year, as we look at 2023, it's my prayer, it's my, fo- it's my prayer that we as a church, we as disciples, we as families would focus on Jesus Christ. That not one of us would leave here today without making the decision to say, Jesus is going to have first place in my life this year. He's going to have first place in my kid's life. He's going to have first place in my marriage. He's going to have first place in this church. And everything that I do this year, I want Christ to be preeminent. I want him to be out front. I don't want him to be an afterthought. I don't want him to just be important. I want him to have the first place in every single thing that I do. Now, some of you are like, whoa, man, this is New Year's Day. Like, I was playing bingo till 1 a.m. This is a lot for me today. Listen to this. It's an extreme thing to have Jesus first place in all things. So what would motivate you? I mean, seriously, like, why would you do this? Why would, you, why would you this morning make a decision to say, okay, all right, I'm all in. In everything I do this year, Jesus is going to be preeminent. In everything that I do this year, he's going to get the first place. What would motivate you and me to give first place to Jesus in every area of our life? In our text today, in verse number 15, we see that the reason that we would allow Christ to be the first place in our life is because Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 15, The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And so when we say Jesus is the Son of God, what that means is is that Jesus himself shows us the Father. Do you want to know if God is loving? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know if God is kind? Look at Jesus. You want to know if God is compassionate? Look at Jesus. If you want to know if God is good and faithful, and, and, and if you want to know if God is present, look. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us the Father. In our text it says, He is the image of God. The word image means icon, and Jesus is the the representation of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at the life and work of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe, by the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In John 14, 9, Jesus said to the disciples, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? How would you like to be the guy that's called out in the disciples? Philip, don't you know me? And then he says this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So this year, if we want to give Jesus the first place, we do that because Jesus is the Son of God. And not only that, he shows us the Father, but then listen to this. Look at what he goes on to say. He says he's the image of God, and then he says he is the firstborn. And what I want you to notice here is that Jesus is unique. Jesus is unique. This is a reference, this, this phrase here, he is the firstborn. It's a reference to position, not time. It refers to rank. It refers to authority. It refers to primacy, not, necessary, not necessarily chronology. Now, the firstborn in the scriptures, normally receive the highest blessing, the highest privilege, the highest rank, 
and the most inheritance. But that was not always the case. We know that. If you've ever studied the Bible, for those of you that have, the nation of Israel wasn't necessarily the first nation, but it was the nation that God chose to bless. If you look at uh, David, David had several brothers, and, and the prophet Samuel came to pick out the first or the king of Israel uh, and, 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 and to replace Saul. And, 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 and David's dad brings out all the sons, and, and he says, is this it? Because God's anointed is not here. And his dad says, well, I've got another son, my youngest, who's out herding sheep. He says, go get him. David walks onto the scene. He's anointed to be the next king of Israel. We see this with Jacob. And so what we see here in this passage of Scripture is it says he's unique. He's the firstborn. He is the only begotten. He is uniquely, Jesus Christ is uniquely the Son of God. Now, this may not be relevant to some of you, but this is a really important passage of Scripture. Because, see, in the early church, there was much controversy over this phrase, he is the firstborn. In fact, there were some that were teaching that Jesus was not, uh, that Jesus wasn't God. They were teaching that he was one of many emanations, or Jesus was one of many creations. He was actually created. There were others that were teaching that he was the highest and best of the eternal created beings, or the angels. In fact, church, church history tells us at the Council of Nicaea that this was such an issue that they decided to define the uniqueness, the sole uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Because there was a teacher by the name of Arius around 325 A.D. in Libya. And he began teaching the heresy that he believed Jesus was not truly God at all. At the Council of Nicaea, they wrote a doctrinal creed to counter the heresy that he was spreading. Now listen to what they wrote at the Council of Nicaea. They said this, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him were all things made. And listen to what they went on to say. Let anyone who believes otherwise be anamathea, which means let them be cursed. Friends, what we're talking about today is the uniqueness, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He wasn't one of the created beings. He wasn't the highest and, and best of the angels. Jesus Christ is and was the Son of the living God. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? In 1 Kings 8, 23, it says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. In 1 Chronicles 17, it says, there's none like you. Guys, are you with me today? There is no one like Jesus Christ. Confucius, Muhammad, None of it. None of them match up. Buddha, none of them match up to the uniqueness of and the gloriousness of and the transcendency that is Jesus Christ. In Psalm 71, 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches to the high heavens. You have done great things. O God, who? Who's like you? There's no one like God. And so if we give Jesus 
first place in our lives this year. If we do that in our marriage, we do so because he's the son of God. But then in verse 16, we do so because Jesus is supreme. It says in the text today, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now this refers to the ranking of the angels. The Jews had a really hard time believing that Jesus was actually equal with God. So Paul was writing to confront and combat this error that Jesus was equal in any way to anything created. Friends, I want to say this again, and I want to continue to just repeat this and kind of drill this in our hearts and our minds today. And that is this. Jesus was not some supreme angel. He wasn't a supreme emanation. Listen, Jesus created them all. Amen? He created them all. Now, I want you to understand this. Jesus is not one of many gods. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through him. And I, and I, and I feel like there's a bit of, of a cavalier attitude towards Jesus in our world today. There's certainly a, a flippancy about the, the position of and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I've seen in years gone by uh, girls wearing t-shirts that says, uh, Jesus is my boyfriend. Or I've seen others wearing a shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Listen, Jesus isn't your boyfriend and he's not your homeboy. He is the king of the ages and he is the Lord of lords. And we lift him up and we give him first place because he is supreme above all. Amen? He is God. And he's God alone. And nothing's equal to him in power or authority. And we should recognize and approach him with that truth in mind. And so I want you to see that Jesus is supreme. But, but primarily what we see in this passage, he's supreme in authority. He's supreme in authority, says thrones and principalities and powers. And what Paul is speaking to in this passage is he's speaking to all authority everywhere. Now listen, this is what Paul's teaching. Paul's teaching that all people, all people from every sphere of life will be forced to one day bow the knee to Jesus Christ. One day, everyone's going to bow the knee to Christ. All human beings will bow before Jesus Christ because he's the supreme, because he's supreme above all things. And listen, Jesus has all authority. Every ruler, listen to me this morning, every ruler from every time period, no matter how important or powerful or famous you might be, everyone one day will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Napoleon, Adolf Hitler, Joe Biden, Saddam Hussein, Michael Jordan, Patrick Mahomes, the Kardashians, one day, Every single one of them will bow the knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lord and the King of the ages. He's supreme. Now, Tullian said it this way. He says, there's nothing in created order bigger or more significant than Jesus. He's supreme. Andrew Kuyper said it this way. There's not one square inch in all of God's creation that Jesus does not cry out, mine. With the cross and with the blood that he shed, he lays claim to our life, and he has authority. He's supreme in his purpose. Look at what the passage goes on to say. It says, through him and for him. Do you realize this morning, everything, everything is for his glory. The sun rose this morning. It's for his glory. The grass grows. It's for his glory. The mountains, the oceans, everything in it and in them is for the glory of God. You were created, designed uniquely for the glory of God and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you're not living for the glory of God, 
you are not fulfilling the purpose that God gave you. Jesus gives meaning to life. He's the reason that we get out of bed in the morning. And the very reason that we even exist, the very reason that we might even take another breath in this life is that Christ might receive the honor and the glory that is due unto his name. We live for the glory of God. And for Christians, Christ's fullness means everything for everyone. After seeing and hearing these things about Christ and how praiseworthy he is, to turn and live for anything smaller than Jesus is the height of foolishness. The supremacy of Christ is the purpose of the ages. And so I challenge you this morning to put him first. Give, them, give him the preeminence that he deserves. I want you to see in verse 16 and 17 that Paul begins, continues to unpack this with not only that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is supreme, but that God, Jesus is sovereign. Jesus himself is sovereign. It says in our passage of Scripture, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, do you realize this morning that Jesus has sovereign authority? Sovereign means authority. It means complete autonomy. Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the ages. And not just the ages, but over His creation. He is omnipotent ruler over all. I want you to see that Jesus is sovereign in, in that he is creator. He is creator. Do you know this morning that the world, its creation, and everything about it is a pretty complex thing? I mean, there's things in life and in science we just don't understand that we don't even know. I want you to consider this morning that God is sovereign on the macro, the large scale of his creation. I mean, when you stop and think, when you think about this, do you know that, that, that you, could, you could cut a hole in the sun? And if you cut a hole in the sun, the sun that keeps us warm, if you could cut a hole in it, you could put 1.2 million earths inside of the sun. And not only that, but you would have room for 4.3 million moons to join alongside of all the earths that would go inside of the sun. Do you know that the nearest star is 200 it's 200 billion miles away. And one star, Betelgeuse, I don't know if I've pronounced it, pronounced it right. Um, sounds like something maybe Britt and I could talk about after uh, church today, but it's not Betelgeuse for those of you that grew up in the, the 90s. But one star, Betelgeuse Beetle, Beetle or whatever, is 880 quarter trillion miles away. Science says that it's so big that its diameter is bigger than the Earth's actual orbit. Jesus Christ is the only begotten. He stood in the second person of the Trinity and he looked into an ageless, spaceless chasm. And he spoke into existence all that is. Jesus spoke all the galaxies and this world and all that we know into existence. And he stands here this morning and he says, put me first, put me first, put me first. And in the wickedness of our hearts at times, we consider it an intrusion that he would ask such a thing. Man, Jesus is sovereign. He is creator, but not only is he creator, he's sustainer. He is the sustainer. The Bible says in the text, he says, look, by him all things consist. He holds it together. In Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of glory. 
of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he, listen to what it says here. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is sovereign not only over the macro, he's sovereign over the micro. The, the, the smallest, what we would consider the most insignificant part of his creation, the things that we can't even see, he is in control. Nuclear science tells us that all substance in the universe is constructed from atoms, which comes or contains three fundamental particles, protons, neutrons, and electrons. I'm kind of nerding out today, so just hang in there. We're almost done. Brent, stop laughing at me. Hopefully I'll get this right and you don't have to clean it up later. All, all matter is created by these fundamental particles. The nucleus of an atom, you have protons and you'll have neutrons and you'll have electrons and they're all shooting around inside this atom and they're so small that you can't even see them but they're they're the building blocks of all matter everything that we see touch feel they're built on these things in, in the nucleus of every atom you have a proton carrying a positive charge of electricity and the, the neutron does not carry or, or yeah the neutron doesn't carry an electrical charge and scientists avoid discussing it and they do so because they don't know why these two elements can actually even exist together. And for decades, scientists have, have had a law that says that charges of electricity and magnetism, they repel each other. So the point is this, is that you've got a proton shooting out an electrical charge. How come the neutrons can actually even hang around? Why aren't they blasted out? What holds the nucleus together? Now the law says that protons and neutrons should not even be able to live side by side in the nucleus of an atom. They would ultimately be trying to destroy themselves within. Now, Dr. Carl Darrow says this. He's a physicist. He says, the nuclei have no right to be alive at all. In fact, they should never have been created. And if they were created, they should have been blown up instantly. Yet, there they are. They're everything. George Gamow said it this way. He said, every object, every object, in our created reality. Every object is a potential nuclear explosive without being blown into bits. And so I want to ask you this morning, who holds it together? Who holds all this together? Every single item in the universe is held together by the word of Jesus. It's held by the word of his power. You know why? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sovereign over all. Amen? He is sovereign. He is supreme. And he's the son of God. And so this morning, I want to ask you, Jesus first, is this how we live? Have we drifted? Have we allowed other things to become important, more preeminent, more valuable, more treasured? And most of us, if not all, would say that we don't always put Jesus first in our lives, our thoughts, our dreams, our goals, our families, our careers, and even in our recreation. And if we do, it's unfortunately often very inconsistent at best. But by the grace of God, we can change that today. The consequence to living our life separate from Christ will lead to fragmentation. It leads to breakdown. I can say that for sure in my own life. I want to ask you this morning, is your life falling apart? Because this morning, only Christ can bring your life together in a true wholeness. For many today, we're fine with living moral lives. We want our kids to grow and be happy. And apart from that, we would define that as successful life. And yet we sit here today with little excuse for giving Jesus first place in our life. So what will we do with this this year? I want to challenge you to do three things. And we're going to expand on these things over the next four, five, six weeks. But here's three things I want to challenge you to do in putting Jesus first in your life this year. Because when we put him first, this is what the result 
will be. We'll pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there might very well be someone in this room today that doesn't understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. There might be some that are here today, you might be one heartbeat away from a devil's hell, and you could be separated from Christ and from God forever. And the sad thing is, is that you might put that off another day. Many years ago, there was a man in my church by the name of John Foster, and John helped us plant our church, and he was actually a member of the church that my father-in-law uh, sent us out from. And every week I would talk about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and every week I'd talk about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and probably for a solid 10 years, John heard that message. And one day I said to our church, I said, you know, you never know what could happen on any given day. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. We're never, any one of us, guaranteed another day of life. We could be taken out of this world in an instant and in a moment. One phone call could change your family and your life forever. I said, man, you could leave this parking lot today, and you could pull out, and a truck could hit you and take your life, and you would be no more. John called me that afternoon and says, I need to meet with you first thing tomorrow. So I met with John, and he goes, bro, look, I've been, and I knew his parents. His sister-in-law was my Sunday school teacher in Florida. It was just this weird thing how small the world is. His sister-in-law was my Sunday school teacher when I was like in third grade back in Winter Haven, Florida. John came to me and said, for years I've been attending church with my mom and dad. I, 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 I thought I'd put my faith in Jesus Christ, but man, I've been faking. I've been playing the game. I, I, I've been doing a show for everyone around me because they just expected me to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, man, I, I'm lost. And if I were to slip out into eternity today, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins, and I don't know if heaven would be my home. And I don't want to spend another day worrying about where I'm going to be in eternity. And in my office, I, I sitting across the desk from me, I said, John, I've been your pastor for 10 years. What do you think you need to do? He says, I think I need to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me. I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I need to put my faith and trust in him. And I said, John, I'm not even going to lead you in prayer. Why don't you just say that to Jesus right now? And right there, he got saved in my office. And a week later, we baptized him, and he became part of the family of God. Amen? That's church. That's what happens in a dynamic church where Jesus is first place, where Jesus is lifted up. And we're not just looking to live moral lives. We're pursuing Jesus Christ. And this morning, you may have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But again, like myself and like others in this room, you have found that you have drifted away. Listen, when was the last time that you read the Word of God and the pages of this book just jumped off at you and God was real, and he was present, and he was powerful, and you walked into a difficult moment or a difficult situation, and you felt and you knew the presence and the power of Jesus on your life. And, and while the things around you may seem to be uh, unwinding and coming apart, you had a confidence that you should not have had simply because you're just walking with Jesus. Christine Hoover says it this way, our success is not in doing something greater and being something great, but in believing in someone great and following where he leads. And that's what I want to do this year. That's what I want you to do this year. I want you to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And then I want us to be far more serious about our faith. God, help us to be more serious. We might have a knowledge of him, but it's a knowledge without pursuit. It's a knowledge without pursuit of him and his will for our lives. This year, I want to challenge you to faithfully seek his will. Our faith should, should be and could be 
a growing and dynamic faith. And it's just like I just said a moment ago, are you satisfied with mediocrity? Are you satisfied with the status quo? If there's one thing that every single one of us in this room could work at this coming year, it's drawing close to Christ and watching him grow, strengthen, and sustain our faith for this year and years to come. It's having the kind of faith where you pray and God answers your prayer. It's the kind of it's the kind of kind of faith that you have that, that while your world is falling apart, you stand strong in the presence of the Almighty. It's the kind of faith where we're praying and asking God to see unchurched people come to Southgate and use our lives, not the preacher's life, not the staff's lives, but our lives collectively, our lives individually, so that others can know who Jesus Christ is. I mean, it should be a normal thing for us to see people walk the aisle and come to Christ. It should be a normal thing where people are coming and we're seeing the, the, the baptistry uh, uh, waters flooded on a regular basis. And for the most part, we do. But man, who wants more of that for Southgate? Say amen. God, I don't want that for our church this year. Let's get serious about our faith. No more complacency. No more status quo. And so we're going to be pursuing Christ, serious about our own personal faith, and then serious about the mission. All these kind of tie together, and I just want to challenge you in the coming weeks to become a people in a church that deeply and affectionately cares for those far from God. We're not a church that does great at like inviting our friends, family, our neighbors, and our coworkers and lost people that we know to Christ. I'm not even talking about inviting them to church. I mean, my wife and I, we met someone last night, and I didn't even tell them yet that I'm a pastor. I got their phone number. I'm going to meet with them. And, uh, you know, when I talk to them, I'll, yeah, 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 I'm a pastor. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, you know, but I'm not worried about you coming to Southgate. I'm worried whether or not you actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ and where you're going to spend eternity. Because it's not just about Southgate. It's about the kingdom of God, and it's about where you're going to go when you die. And so this morning, man, I, I, I can't imagine what would happen to Southgate if we just had 50 to 100 people that said, I'm going to win one person to Christ this year, and I'm going to disciple them. If we just had 50 to 100 people, and I keep saying this from time and again, and I'll have the normal folks that would say that to me, and I hope the normal folks that would do that and have a heart for and a passion for Christ, but they say, yeah, 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 I want to, I want to continue to do that. But man, that some would just, their hearts would be stirred. I, there's been a lot of things in life that I've had the opportunity to do. God has been so good to me and my wife and our family. We've traveled all over the world. I mean, we've, God has been so good to us. I mean, several years ago, right before we planted the church, we went to Hawaii. And I remember going to Hawaii, my brother-in-law and I, we were uh, driving around Hawaii, just me and him, the girls were uh, doing something else, and we were in like a little Jeep that had no top on it, and we're going through, uh, you know, around Oahu, and uh, we went uh, up the North Shore, just hanging out, got some L&L barbecue, if you've ever been to Hawaii, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, and I, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And think about, for you, think about what is, what is the one experience in your life that you're like, man, that was awesome. I mean, I've seen my kids. Uh, I was there when my kids were born. I love my kids, and I'm thankful for my kids, and I think that ranks top five, like top five, maybe top 20, but I don't know, maybe top five. I don't know. I'm kidding. I love my kids. But you know, there are a few things, listen to me, and, and don't misinterpret or misconstrue what I'm about to say. Of all the experiences that I've had in my life, there are very few that compare when God has given me an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus Christ. I mean, I think about John Foster. I think about the Slicks. 
I think about leading my own children to Christ, and I, I think about all the people that Jim and Therese Dido, I, I think about people in this church that God has given me the opportunity to share Christ with, and they've come to Christ. I, I'm just saying, few things in life compare to when you guide a person from darkness to life, from death to life. Listen, that's not something that fades. There's no poof element to that. You know why? Because that will carry on for the ages. Nothing will last in eternity like seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. And when you put Jesus Christ first, you're going to pursue him. Your faith will be dynamic, and you'll be serious about walking with God and seeking his will, seeking his presence, knowing his power. And in so doing, it will lead you into moments that shock you because God will use you in ways that you never imagined. I remember when I started the church uh, many years ago, back in 2007, and sometimes I even do it here, but in 2007, the Jansons are here today. Their mom and dad just joined our church, and, and Bob and Mary helped us plant our church in Chicago, and I remember that first Sunday. I was 28 years old. I didn't know my head from a hole in the wall. I'm just being honest with you, and I'm a, I'm a, you guys all think I'm from the city. I'm Chicago. I grew up in Winter Haven, Florida. It is a redneck town that thinks the Civil War is still going on. It's just crazy there. I mean, it's, a fruit, it's an orange fruit-picking town. Not a lot of wealth, not a lot of affluency. I grew up poor. Avenue T, 3507. Google it this afternoon. It's a crack area right now. Like it's, it's, drug, it's a drug area. It's a bad area. That's where I grew up. And I remember on that first Sunday, standing in the parking lot of Green Garden Elementary School, and I thought to myself, man, I don't think anyone's going to show up today. I don't know if anyone's even going to come and listen to what God has put on my heart. Why would God use me? Why would God, you guys look at me like, oh, the pastor, he's been trained. The worst thing I think that happens to most churches is they have trained staff. The gospel moves throughout the, the world on those who live in the real world, those who are vocational Christians. And yet, we, we try to put all that responsibility on the pastoral staff. And I sat there that Sunday, and I said, oh, man, I can't, I don't think anyone's going to come. And I, I'm telling you, for years, I would stand in front of the window at our church. We had these big glass gabled windows, and I'd stand there, and I'd just watch cars come in. And I'd, I'd sit there, and I'd be like, God, what? You, you're going to accuse me today, and I don't know why. This morning on the front row, I said, God, be merciful to me, sinner. I'm so broken. I have nothing to offer these folks today. All I have is your word. All I have. And if you'll allow me, I'll do my best. And I pray that God's people will be more than inspired, more than motivated. I pray that they will be convicted by your word. They'll be convicted by who you are and, in turn, give you the first place in their lives. God can use anybody. He's not looking for the next Billy Graham, the next D.L. Moody. He's just looking for a few people that will say, you know what? I'm going to put Jesus first in my life this year. I'm going to put him first in my marriage. I'm going to put him first in my career, my education. I'm going to let Christ have the preeminence and the place that he deserves. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, let me just ask this audience today, how many of you know for certain that Jesus Christ is your Lord and personal Savior? Would you lift your hand and just let me see those hands this morning? Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not certain that I know Christ. I don't know that if I were to slip out into eternity today that heaven is my home, that I'm right with God, and that I'm forgiven my sins. Would you pray for me today? Is there anyone like that that's here today that I can just pray for you this morning? Anyone at all? Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, Jesus deserves to be the first place in my life, and I want to do that this year. I want him to have the first place, and on this first Sunday of the year, 
I want to do everything I can to commit to allowing him to have the preeminence in my life. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you today? And amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you please stand to your feet with me this morning? Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the unending mercy of Jesus Christ. Your mercy never ends. It extends from generation to generation. And for many of us, we'd like to forget 2022. We failed, we've sinned, we've struggled, we've made fools of ourselves. Others of us, we've had successes. We, we had a great year. But God, just like Paul said, you know, forgetting those things which are behind, I want to reach forward to those things that are before, and I want to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God, the goal is Jesus today. The goal is your preeminence. The goal is your supremacy. And I pray that we might, as a church, live this out in our lives as individuals. God, collectively as a family, as a church family, Christ would have the center stage. Not me, not the staff, not any one person. That Jesus Christ would be the Lord of our church. That he would be the Lord of our homes, the Lord of our lives. And I pray, God, today that we'd rededicate our hearts to you. That we would purpose in our lives to serve you, follow you, and love you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, listen. In just a moment, as Derek sings the first note, even right now as I'm speaking before, a, a note is sung. If God spoke to you today, and you're like, man, I want to experience the fullness of joy that I was created to experience. And if the only way to do that, I mean joy, I'm talking joy. Real, abiding, real lasting joy and purpose. If that's what you want for your life in 2023, hit the altar right now. Get on your knees. Bow your knee. Confess, Christ, you are Lord of my life. And I have not allowed you to be the Lord of my life. I've not given you the first place. You've not been preeminent. You've been an afterthought, not the first thought. So right here today, that changes. I make a commitment to you that in every way possible, I'm going to strive to allow you to have the first place in my life.